So this afternoon we'll look at Psalm 121. And let's read that psalm together. The heading over that psalm, like the ones around it, is a song of ascents. Psalm 121, verse 1, hear the word of the Lord. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord, who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. We'll sing after the sermon from this psalm as we have it in our book of praise. All the stanzas, 1 through 4, Psalm 121. Well, of a congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, what's the most scary, the most dangerous journey that you've ever been on? I remember somebody telling me once a story. They were in Manitoba, I think around Carmen. It was snowing, it was drifting, it was so bad, they had no idea where the road actually was. Maybe you have stories of a scary plane landing, or maybe traveling with a trailer and it wanting to, its own, to do its own thing behind you. All of life is a journey, especially for Christians, and at times it can be a bit scary. As we flip over the calendar, it's good to remember That's what we are doing. We are all journeying. We are all pilgrims. All of us have our eyes on a destination. In 2016, a lot of things happened to us. But most importantly, we journeyed another year with our God and to our God. But yes, there are dangers. There were dangers in 2016. And no doubt, even more than we realized, there will be dangers too in 2017. Psalm 120, the psalm before ours, ends with these sober words, I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. There's hostility in the world. But then we have things like this beautiful psalm. It's a psalm for those on a journey. I know of parents who would read Psalm 121 very deliberately. You know, when their teenage child was sort of officially moving out of the house, they would sit down with them, read Psalm 121, and have a little devotion. One U.S. Navy admiral would always read this psalm before heading out from the dock. It's one of the psalms of ascents. So then it was sung... As the Old Testament believer journeyed to Jerusalem for one of the three major feasts, or quite likely and maybe more possibly it was sung 
on the journey home from Jerusalem. It's a psalm of great comfort and great confidence for those on a journey. Six times it says, the Lord will keep you. This then is what we cling to. There's no need to be anxious or fearful, even though dangers might be real. The Lord is our keeper in all things at all times. And so I've given this New Year's sermon this theme. The believer rejoices that the Lord is his keeper. And we'll look at three things, our help, our God, and our life. Now in ancient times, travel was especially hazardous. Roads were not like ours. Bridges were a very rare thing. That's true in some parts of Center Wellington as well. There were wild animals to contend with. There were bandits. Just think of the story of the Good Samaritan, you know, in Luke 10. Even a very short trip somewhere could be dangerous. The traveling psalmist does something, though. I lift up my eyes to the hills, he says. Now, it's difficult to find out exactly what is meant by that. To lift up your eyes in Scripture is often a reference to expectation, looking for help. And we have that too in Psalm, uh, in Lord's Day 19, for instance. About the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, we say that in all our sorrows and trials, we eagerly await as judge from heaven the same one who has submitted himself to the judgment of God for my sake. We lift up our heads. Here it is difficult to be certain what this lifting up and towards the hills, just what it means. Is this a reference to the high places? Some think this. You know that in Israel, other gods were worshipped and they were often worshipped in the high places. So is this the psalmist? He, he sees something going on at one of the high places. And then he says, no, I'm going to look instead to the Lord. Others think this is a reference to the mountains, the hills that surround Jerusalem. That's in Psalm 125. I lifted my eyes to the hills and I'm reminded then of the Lord's protective power over his people. It's possible. Others think along these lines and I'm inclined to go in this direction. It's very simple that looking to the hills makes you fearful and worried. Traveling in the hill country in Judah or Ephraim was certainly not one of the safest places to travel through. There could be then bandits hiding out of the caves. There could be wild animals. It's difficult to know for certain whatever this means. This is a trigger, though, for the psalmist to then ask, from where does my help come? And the author of this psalm gives himself the answer. He even speaks to himself. He, he answers his own questions. We need to do that, too, as believers. 
when we have questions, even speak to our own souls. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Now this is a very rich confession. You might know that in Scripture you find this in other places. Psalm 124. We begin every worship service with words that are almost identical. Our help is in the name of the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. This is how we journey Sunday to Sunday. This is what defines us as the people of God. We are those who gladly, every Sunday, look away from ourselves and anything of this world, and we look to the Maker. The author of this psalm may have heard this confession at the temple. And now he takes it with him back home in his day-to-day life. He also makes it very personal. At the beginning of our worship service, we confess our help is in the name of the Lord. The psalmist here, though, says, my help. There is a place to speak personally, individually. You can think of the Apostle Paul in Galatians 2, verse 20, who also says with great confidence, the life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved Me, and gave himself up for me? The great God knows each one of us individually by name. Now what a help this is, the maker of heaven and earth. You cannot find, of course, a greater help than this. Now maker of heaven and earth, you need to realize too, this is a Hebrew way of of talking. And it doesn't just mean the heavens and the earth. It means everything. The maker of all. That's the one in whom we can place our trust. There is nothing that that is not from Him and in His hands. Nothing that does not depend upon Him for its very existence. You also need to realize that maker in Scripture. It's not just a reference to the one who sort of got things started, but also the one who continually upholds and governs. There is no room for deism in the Bible or in the life of the believer. Do you know what deism means? It was a movement that arose in the 17th century in Europe, the 18th century. This idea that God, yes, started things off, but then he, he backed off. Everything can run on its own, like a clock. The world runs by natural laws, that sort of thing. We live in a world that still suffers from that kind of thinking. And we need to oppose it. Everything at every moment still gets its existence from your God, from our God. The God of creation is the God who continues to uphold and govern all. And we know this 
even more as we look to Jesus Christ. The Apostle John, for instance, begins his gospel, in the beginning was the Word. And then he goes on to say, through the Word all things were made. Do you see what John's point is? The Savior in whom we believe. Do we realize He's not just a man from Nazareth. He is the one through whom all things were made. Therefore, those who know Him ought to have great confidence and peace in this world. He is Lord over everything. In Him all things hold together, says the Apostle Paul in Colossians 1. He is the head over all things for the sake of the church. Ephesians chapter 1. Our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, Jacob knew this. The Lord was in this place, and I did not know it. Our Lord Jesus Christ as well. He's not just sort of one man. He too is everywhere. As the Word. As the ascended Lord. Who has received dominion over all things. Every place we find ourselves. We will find Him too. That takes us to our second point. So then what can we expect? God is our help. What will this journey be like? He will not let your foot slip. He who keeps you will not slumber. Again, you can see this is a pilgrim song for those on a journey. That's when you would be concerned, for instance, about your foot slipping. And think back to, to more ancient times. Your foot Slipping. That could be a very serious thing. You might break a bone on mountain paths. Maybe you might slip and, and tumble and, and be off on your own. Just sitting there, helpless, left to die. And that's sort of the, the thing that we need to remember as we look at these words. You see, there is a, that question. He will not let your foot slip. Well, does that mean that I'm never going to have any troubles in life? No, you will have troubles. We hear this in many places in Scripture. The believers have troubles and even more troubles than the world because we face the hatred of others and of the devil. But we also know that our foot will not slip. And that we will not enter a danger that will be too great for us. Where we will be abandoned and forsaken, left to die. The psalmist continues, Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. Sometimes if you were on a journey, you could end up in trouble then and not have anyone know about it. But you have a God who does not slumber or sleep. This perhaps is also a reference to Canaanite culture or religion. 
you remember Elijah in 1 Kings mocking the priest of Baal? Perhaps your God is asleep, he says. Perhaps your God has gone to the bathroom. In fact, the Canaanites did believe that Baal went to sleep for a long period of time during the summer months. And that's why things in the summer months often became dry and withered. The author of this psalm, though, knows there is a God, unlike any of the other gods in this world. Do we know that? What are the gods that we are tempted to put our trust in? You can attempt to put your trust, let's say, in wealth, in your business, in the economy. Who knows, though, what may happen in 2017? You may put your trust in yourself, your own ability, you think, to to deal with life and its problems. Who knows what what may happen to you, though, this year? There is nothing really in this world that is really trustworthy. Even the best watchman may nod off. Even a mother may fall asleep at the bed of a sick child. But there is a God who does not slumber or sleep. We all, we, we spend a third of our lives sleeping. How could you then put your trust really in yourself? But there is a God who does not slumber or sleep. Even when we are asleep, He watches. He holds all things in His hands. He he plans. He blesses. In Genesis 28, when Jacob slept, he had that vision of the living God whose angels at that very moment were going up and going down. And Psalm 40, the psalmist says that he could not count the Lord's thoughts towards him, even if he tried. God constantly has us on his mind. In Psalm 17, we are told that God keeps us as the apple of his eye. The Lord is the keeper of Israel, says the psalmist here. So in this personal psalm that begins with the word my, or has the word my at the beginning, the author also looks out, looks wide. The Lord is the keeper of Israel. And that's like a a title for God. This is what He does. He is the one who keeps His people. Who is jealous that there would be a people for Himself. And we see that even more clearly in Jesus Christ. What is our confidence as we go through life? It is this, that our Savior is the keeper of Israel. That our Savior is passionate, that there would be a people who know Him, And the riches of His salvation more than we desire those riches. 
We hear him say to Peter, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. That ought to be our confidence too at all things. Not us looking to ourselves then. But knowing the Lord Jesus Christ speaks those words to Peter, to us all, I will build my church. And nothing will prevail against that. Not our sin. Not the reality of death. Not the power of the devil. He says in John 10, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. We have a Savior ascended and enthroned in glory. You know, we often consider the Lord Jesus Christ born of a virgin. And later on, when He's upon the cross. But we need to keep our eyes fixed on the Lord Jesus Christ. And realize now, He is ascended in glory and has dominion over all. At the stoning of Stephen in the book of Acts, there's a beautiful scene, right? The heavens are open. Stephen looks up. When he looks up into the heavens, he says to those around him, I see Jesus standing at the right hand of God. It's very fascinating. Usually, we speak of the Lord Jesus Christ as seated, sitting at the right hand of God. We have that in the Apostles' Creed, for instance. Here he is standing. The king has gotten up off his throne. He is concerned. He is observant. He is ready to receive Stephen into glory. Clearly, he is the keeper of his own. The sun will not harm you by day or the moon by night. Now here in southern Ontario, the sun is not really that harmful. Although it could be a bit. Certainly in, in Israel, and I'd imagine that would be true for Syria, those places. Sunstroke is a bigger problem. You can think too of the Bible, 2 Kings chapter 4, that young boy. The moon as well. There's a focus here. The moon used to be always connected to perhaps being mentally unstable. Our word lunatic conveys that. It's related to the word luna, lunar, moon. Perhaps the psalmist means that too. It could simply be this balances the sun by day, something poetic. Either way. The psalmist, the sun by day, the moon by night. That is a 24-hour thing. God's watching is even greater than that of the sun and the moon. Throughout the day and throughout the night, in all things then, 
at all times. Your God watches over you. He will be the shade at your right hand. Now that particular terminology here, to be at the right hand, is usually used for servants who wait upon their masters. They're at the right hand of their masters, ready to do whatever their masters want. But here in this psalm, the psalmist pictures God at our right hand. The God who is like a servant, even. Constantly watching. Constantly there. Ready to act. And we know that servant God so clearly in Jesus Christ. The Lord will keep your life. Now we may certainly have troubles. The believer lives in the same world as the unbeliever. The same fallen world. The Christian endures the same economic downturn as the unchristian. The Christian suffers the same sort of illnesses. The Christian is buried in the same ground as the unbeliever. But in all these things and through all these things, the Lord will preserve your life. Or you could possibly maybe translate, the Lord will preserve your, your soul. Your life with Him. What you have in Jesus Christ will always be there. And that takes us to our third point. The last verse rises to a great climax. The Lord will watch over your coming and going, both now and forevermore. Coming and going. This also is another Hebrew way of speaking comprehensively. That's throughout this psalm. In whatever you do, when you leave, when you come back, and everything in between, God's care will always be there. But then in conclusion, did you know, did you notice in this psalm there is a switch as we go through this psalm to the second person? It begins the psalmist saying my, but then it changes to you and your. So either someone else has joined in this psalm, or someone is speaking to the psalmist, perhaps a priest or another believer, or maybe the psalmist himself has joined others, and he is speaking to them. That's also what we need to do. The confidence that we have is never something that we keep to ourselves. We have a Savior who also, Sunday after Sunday, speaks to us these words. The Lord will keep your life. A Savior who wants us to know and to live in that confidence. As believers, speak that confidence to each other. 
Encourage others. There is more insecurity and anxiety, indifference, laziness, despair than we often like to admit or to acknowledge. The Lord will keep your life. Say that to yourself. Say that to those around you. And that will be the theme of our lives. One day, the story of our lives will be told not as if it's a story of all our struggles, even all our sins. The story of the life of a believer will be far greater. It will be the story of the Lord's great keeping. The keeping of the covenant God. The keeping of the Savior who is the shepherd who, who guards the sheep. Even when there be wolves that are fierce. The story of the triune God who works all things to the good of those who love Him. One day, those who look to this God in faith, they will arrive at the gates of the heavenly city, the new Jerusalem, in triumph. They will arrive at the, the destination more glorious than they know. And we will meet the God of our keeping face to face and know that keeping like we have never known it before. And this will happen not through our strength, but through His. And to Him be the glory. Amen.